0: Shabbat Shalom. One of the more lighthearted moments in my three-day trip to Israel this past week was a conversation that I had with many of my rabbinic colleagues that went something like this. How did your spouse respond when you told them you were traveling to Israel In the middle of a war? And I widened the question to include our mothers as well. And my answer when Allison asked me that question, who was fully supportive of my decision, by the way, uh, was simple. I channeled my hero, Menachem Begin, who said in 1981 to a group of young American Jewish leaders when asked what he thought were the lessons of the Shoah, of the Holocaust. Begin said, when a Jew anywhere is threatened or under your attack, do all in your power to come to his aid. Never pause to wonder what the world will think or say. The world will never ever pity slaughtered Jews. The world may not necessarily like the fighting Jew, but the world will have to take account of him. In this moment, in this time, I felt and continue to feel that we must show up for the people of Israel. And for me, that meant traveling to a country at war. And I will tell you that every person we met, soldiers, academics, Parents of hostages, cab drivers, every one of them to a person expressed sincere gratitude for our presence, telling us how much it meant to them to see us in person, standing with the people of Israel. For all of us, it was a privilege to be there, and I am grateful to the Fuchsburg Jerusalem Center under the leadership of Dr. Stephen Daniel Arnoff for making this trip possible. I want to ground Begin's challenge to show up when Jews are threatened in a rabbinic text we learned together with Alana Kershan, a Jerusalem-based writer and teacher at the conservative yeshiva. We find ourselves in the midst of the narrative of Abraham. We heard about it both from Aidan and Eva, our patriarch, the first one to acknowledge the presence of one God, our our spiritual ancestor. The Torah doesn't provide much of a backstory to Abraham. Why was he chosen? What did God see in him that he reached out? Why was he chosen for this sacred journey that he began last week and continues the rabbis, looking for this backstory, compare Abraham to a man, this is, uh, to quote Rabbi Cosgrove last week, uh, who, who used this midrash briefly in speaking about anti-Semitism. to a man on a journey who sees a palace ablaze. And when the owner calls out, the man understands his duty to help extinguish the flames. Rabbi Cosgrove mentioned in passing, I want to spend a few minutes unpacking it and its meaning for this moment. So the Midrash compares Abraham's journey to a man, he's going place to place, he sees a building in Hebrew, doleket, a flame. The man says, is it possible that this building has no in Hebrew manhig, which will translate as manager? In other words, why is the building burning? The owner of the building looked down at him and said, I am the owner of the building. Ani bal habira, I'm in charge. What happened with Abraham was similar, the Midrash says. He said, is it possible that this world, this universe lacks a manhig, lacks a manager, God looked down at him and said to Abraham, Anihu baal I am the master of the universe. Now, it's a fascinating midrash. Abraham asks if there's a manager to the building, or is there a manager to this world that's on fire? And God responds, I'm the owner of the world. I'm in charge of the world. Now, God doesn't really answer the question that was asked about who's the manager, except to say, you, Abraham. You are the manager. I may be the owner, but you are part and parcel of the ownership of this building. People will walk by. They'll see that the building's on fire and they won't say anything. They won't do anything. But you, Abraham, you are the one who stopped and took note, who stopped and said something who didn't look away from the fire. Abraham was chosen by God, the Midrash is suggesting, because he is unable to stay silent in times of suffering or injustice. We see it in this week in the Torah portion when he argues on behalf of the people of Sodom and Amorah. In other words, to be a Jew is to see the world on fire and to not look away. To be a Jew is to never lose sight of the burning and to do all we can to stamp out the flames. This is the religious posture that we need today. It's what God looks for in a leader. It's what God looks for in the Jewish people. Now, I carried this text with me as I journeyed through Israel. And when I stood in the rubble, of Kibbutz Be'eri down near Gaza, looking at the charred remains of homes in this beautiful Kibbutz, staring at a large dried up pool of blood with a knife in the middle, left there by the IDF as they document these heinous crimes against humanity. The soldier in charge explaining that the mother of the house was murdered in that spot. Her body mutilated after her death and then set on fire. I thought of this text. I thought of Abraham when he showed us pictures of the people who were murdered. Pictures, took out a file and showed us pictures right where we were standing, graphic, Gruesome photos, images I will not forget as long as I am alive. I thought about Abraham. When I thought about the fact that the soldiers who were carefully going through these homes, searching for any human remains so people could be identified by DNA or something. These soldiers are 18, 19, 20 years old. The trauma that they will need to process together. I thought about our patriarch, Abraham, and the palace that was burning. When I was touring the army base that evening, where they actually take all soldiers who were killed in combat, and in this case, the civilians who were killed murdered On October 7th, it's a base where they use DNA and dental records to identify soldiers killed in battle who may not otherwise be identifiable. A base named Shura, a base where Colonel Schwartz, the Cantor's brother, serves. The text was with me. You have a responsibility to go back to your communities and tell the people what you saw here, the IDF officer at Kibbutz Be'eri told us. You have a responsibility to bear witness. As the images of October 7th were being revealed, we told people, look away, don't, don't traumatize yourself. But the thrust of our tradition, what it means to be a Jew, is telling us that you have to look. You have to see. You have to remember. And then you have to act. You have to be a manhig. You have to be a manager because you, me, we, we have a stake in the ownership of this building. That's why I went to Israel. It was not an easy three days. Israel is in pain. The Jewish people are grieving. 1,400 people murdered, bodies still being identified, soldiers are dying, 250 hostages still in Gaza. But as I said in the letter I sent back to the community while I was there, grief is like a photo. If you zoom into the center of that photo, that's all you will see, the pain, the trauma. But if you zoom out, even just a little bit, if you widen the lens, if you widen your perspective, you'll see life. You'll see resilience. You'll see solidarity. You see incredible acts of chesed, incredible acts of kindness. That, too, we witnessed. That, too, I have a responsibility to share with you. On Tuesday, we visited the Jerusalem Civilian Command Center. A little bit of context, before October 7th, as you remember, every Saturday evening, hundreds of thousands of Israelis would protest the government and judicial reform in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem. Post-October 7th, the leadership of the protest movement pivoted quickly recognizing the vast needs of the soldiers and civilians that weren't necessarily being met by the Israeli government and mobilized their vast network into an incredible force of gemilut chasadim of acts of kindness. The Jerusalem Civil Civilian Command Center is made up of seven civil organizations, NGOs. It's working tirelessly to fill the needs, to meet the needs of the Israeli public, thousands of volunteers. It's located right in the heart of Jerusalem, a 30-person call center, a well-stocked warehouse where people, people can just come, take whatever they want, a supply chain of delivery, and so much more. It's incredible, it's inspiring, it's a reminder That the Jewish people are always at our best when we stand in solidarity with one another. And I could tell you story after story about this sense of unity. The cab driver who gives me his card and tells me he would do anything for my son, he'll drive food up to him, he'll take clothes to him, he'll pick him up and bring him back to his apartment if he wants. To the evacuees in our hotel, we were the only non-evacuees in our hotel. A religious community from the north who has been uprooted, who is living in this hotel indefinitely, displaced from their homes, running around the hotel. It was like a day camp at all hours. Kids making noise, joyfully eating breakfast in the morning as they prepare for school. Surrounding a member of our trip who brought letters from their kids' school in Westchester, celebrating life in what was otherwise a deeply traumatic moment of being homeless. These two are moments from which we must not turn away, moments which we must bear witness. There is resilience, there is solidarity, there is blessing, there is life. Biyahad n'natzeach, together, they say in Israel right now, we will be victorious. When I arrived back in New York City on Thursday morning, the first thing I did was teach my 930 Melton class titled Crossroads in Jewish History. It's a class that looks at pivotal moments in Jewish history, how they impacted the Jewish future, and how we remember them as part of our Jewish past. For years, I've been teaching this class filled with moments of pain and suffering, dark moments, crusades, pogroms, the Shoah, the Holocaust, These moments always felt like things that happened in the distant past. Today, we are the new Jew. We're strong. We have the state of Israel. We have children who protect and defend the Jewish people in the Israel Defense Forces. I never thought I would be standing in a place like Kibbutz Be'eri, witnessing firsthand an event that we will be talking about we will be teaching about. We will be recalling in liturgical moments like the martyrology on Yom Kippur in 100, 500, 1,000 years from now. We are living history in this moment. This is a crossroads moment. And we can't even begin to imagine how this will impact the trajectory of Jewish life moving forward. Years into the future, our community will be able to reach into the Park Avenue Synagogue archives and hear the sermons that were delivered at this time, the music that spoke to this crisis, the experience of rabbis and cantors and educators who picked up and traveled to Israel, who held countless Zoom sessions with college students, with parents concerned about the place of Jews on campus. Concerned about the place of Jews in this country. My challenge to all of us is to be like our ancestor Abraham. To see a world on fire and to not look away. To do more than not look away, but to act. Each one of us must ask ourselves, how do we want our descendants to remember the actions of their ancestors at this this crossroads moment. So I want to offer you a few suggestions of tachless, concrete things we can do. Number one, continue to financially support institutions in Israel. There are so many in need. We've been directing our communal tzedakah to the UJA Israel Emergency Fund. We list others on our website. We will list the Jerusalem Civilian Command Center after Shabbat. Number two, stay informed. Educate yourselves. We are offering in Israel 101 in the next couple of weeks, Rabbi Solmson and I, their books, podcasts, publications. It's overwhelming. I know there's so much, but we must educate ourselves. Number three, we must not forget the 250 hostages being held in Gaza. We met with Rachel Goldman and John Poland, Their son is Hirsch. You've read about him. You know about him. They stressed, and I agree, that this is a global humanitarian crisis. There are hostages from 33 countries. And we must keep this story up front in the news cycle. I'm going to give you one way to do this. There's now a website, oneminaday.com. We'll put it on our website after Shabbat. That makes it very easy to reach out to our elected officials to pressure the US government to prioritize the return of hostages. You put in your zip code, the name of your local politicians comes up with a short script, a phone number, a short script of what to say. We'll put it up there on our website with other suggestions of things that we can do, but we must not forget the hostages. Number four, show up for Israel. There's a rally Monday night. Between 83rd and 85th Streets, Central Park West, you'll see advertisements for it. It went out in our email. They just announced a massive rally in Washington on November 14th at 1 o'clock. More information to follow on that. Number five, pray. Just pray. Right On our website are prayers for the soldiers, prayers for the captives, prayer for the state of Israel. Every day, say a prayer for everyone. Finally, when the time is right, and this will be different for each of us, go to Israel. Pick up and go to Israel. Go stand with our people. Bear witness to what has and what will happen. Trust me, Israelis will be grateful. It means so much to know for them to know that we show up. Friends, There is not one minute of the day, and oftentimes at night, when I am not thinking about my son and all the brave soldiers of the IDF. And yes, I was able to see him for 20 minutes while I was there in the South. He's doing fine, better than his father's doing. Focused on the job that he and the members of his unit have to do. He's well fed. That concern I feel the concern that so many of us feel. It can lead us to inaction. It can lead us to be distracted. To look away. And now is not the time to look away. The world is on fire. And we are the managers. Now is the time for that moral clarity that we speak about. To be a Jew Is to never lose sight of the burning, to stomp out the flames, and to see the many, many blessings that are before us. One last story. When I arrived at Newark on Sunday, I met this kid, Yechezkel, a young yeshiva student from Lakewood, and he told me that he studies at the Mir Yeshiva in Jerusalem, and that the yeshiva, this is just a great story, the yeshiva had set up a pop-up yeshiva in the Catskills because a lot of the boys were home for break and not going back until after Sukkot. So while they were in America, they all went to the Catskills to study, to learn. The head of the yeshiva sent a messenger, didn't just email them, actually sent an emissary up to the Catskills from Israel to tell the boys that they were being called by the Rosh Yeshiva, by the head of the yeshiva, back to Israel. My guess is that 75% of the flight on Sunday was mere yeshiva students. His mother dropped him off. She came and stood in line with us for a few minutes. When she heard my son was in the IDF, she immediately took out her phone and added his name to a list of soldiers that she prays for every day. There was a guy playing guitar in the corner, singing songs. There were tables set up with food and with snacks, not people flying, just people who were volunteering and showed up at the airport. It was something. And Yechezkel looked at me, looked at the scene, and he said quietly, the achdus is gewaldig. Translation, the solidarity is amazing. It's spectacular. It's gewaldig. And it was, and it is, and God willing, it will continue to be. This is the call of the hour, friends. This is the challenge we have met, and we must continue to meet, to remember that wherever we stand, we stand with the land of Israel, we stand with the state of Israel, and we stand with the people of Israel. Shabbat shalom. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in Shul. Hallelujah.